Hey, welcome back. This is uh, episode 14, maybe? I don't know. This is the morning brushback. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm here with uh, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how are you? Daniel, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And we are joined on location from uh, perched above the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, Zach Clark. Zach, how are you? I'm good. Dude, that, uh, that's my that nice zoom- little backdrop. Yeah, that Zoom background's pretty. It's pretty rocking. Almost yeah, like, it's better than like what I have back there initially. You getting like, vertigo? You getting vertigo? It's, it's pretty <laughs> tough. No, I like it up here. Got it. Uh, looks peaceful. So Zach is a uh, he's a scout for the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, former major league pitcher, former uh, journeyman in baseball. How long did you play? Was it ten or eleven, twelve years? Uh, I'd say like nine and a half if you just like half seasons and years. Um, so I, I'll say ten, but. Okay. Zach is an honest fellow. He will not exaggerate his amount of years. And there you go. Um, but all three of us, uh, former teammates at different points in time, we all sort of like crisscrossed. I was, Zach and I were teammates in college, go retrievers. Um, we were all teammates. Or Zach and Bobby, you and Zach, what, what years were you guys teammates with the Orioles? That was a few years, no? It was like 10, yeah. 11, 12, or maybe Easily. even nine. That's nine, a high 10, dose. 11, That's a high dose yeah. of Bobby. I'm sorry. I was that. in, I was, I was all over the place. The only, if any year you were in Bowie, we were teammates and I was in Frederick in for pieces of nine, 10, 12. Yeah. You were, you bounced. You were like, I mean, the, I was you, were, you were the, you were the plug and play guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. He can throw strikes. He can go pitch here. Yeah. Let's just, I'll let's take move it. him down two levels for a spot start. That happened. You were you on that team? Yes, I know. It's ridiculous. Oh man. Wait, well, you weren't in Delmarva, were you? I was never in Delmarva, no. Oh, so that happened when I was in Bowie, I went to Delmarva. They they had like a bunch of rainouts and I hadn't pitched. They were like, Oh yeah, just go go to Delmarva. And I had like family that was at the game and I'm like, Oh man. So you gotta drive and I was only I only threw two innings, but it was uh the, yeah, the Orioles. Crazy. Way. I mean, dude, it was it was my way. It was the way I got. Like, I don't know if my a normal path would have been the way that would have gotten me to where I went, but right. it was. Uh, I mean, it was just what I did. So, Phil, our, our, sometimes our, it was cooler our, than others. Our listeners, viewers, in real quick, Zach, about that thing. So, your draft status, like the way you bounced up and around, like give us give us a, a quick overview of, of what you're talking about. Okay, so. Uh, fifth year senior signed before the draft at the time you could do that. Um, so I signed after the college season was over and like the end of May, um, went down to extended spring training. Uh, that was in 06. And then from 06 to the middle of 14 played with the Orioles. And I was kind of like your all purpose multi positional pitcher I could start I could I wouldn't close but I I mean I could pitch any any time throw strikes you know command oriented righty um got to the big leagues after I signed as a fifth as a um minor league free agent just kind of renewed with the Orioles got put on the roster um pitched in the big leagues for one game that year my next appearance was as a knuckleballer in double a so Big league outing didn't go too well. And uh, then I did the knuckleball, basically a calendar year um, up until the next year's um, short season teams got released and then played indie ball for a year and a half, trying to come back conventionally, didn't work out. 
and then started scouting right after that. So, so we're going to double back and talk about the knuckleball stuff, but (laughs) okay. I mean, because that's that's like a story that we've like kind of talked about, but not really talked about that much yeah. on air. Like for those of you listening, if you've read or listened to my book, Zach's in it. He's got a, a whole chapter about his story um, and the way our paths sort of intertwined. But it's really fascinating. But I want to come back to that later. the The big thing I'd like to start with is how did you handle being that journeyman? Because like when you talk about that real quick, people are like, oh, you got to play in AAA. Like you played in every level in one year, right? You play triple A, double A, every level in, in the same season. And that seems cool that they would throw you around, but like, what are some of the challenges being the guy that's always bounced around, not kind of being like as stable as some other players? Well, so when you're with guys that are like prospects, they're not moving those guys. And those guys kind of know where they're going to be. Not every year, but like, they have a better feeling for where they're going to start the year, um, what the plan is for them. And then there's a lot of things that you don't know. And you don't, and not, not that you know everything about the prospects, but those are the guys that you're building towards. You're trying to prepare them for the big leagues. And I was not that guy. Um, so, I, you know, if there was a, somebody got injured and they needed a pitcher and they didn't have somebody available or ready to promote, um, there was a chance that I was going to go and that's how I ended up. I went from high A in the bullpen to starting games in triple A because uh, a guy got a bat stuck in the back of his calf, a broken bat. Like, and it wasn't a horrible injury, but he needed, you know, a week to heal and get back into throwing and all that stuff. So I got two starts in triple A in my uh, like first starting the season, starting the year in full season. Um, it was like my second full year in pro ball, but yeah, I mean, it was it, – it forced me to to have a good routine. Like kind of like when you talk to Win, he said you got to have a routine, and that was something that I realized. Like I need to have a routine when I'm a starter, which was easier, have a routine when I'm a bullpen guy, and have a way so that I can be ready to pitch whenever they ask me to. Um, and that was, that was hard at first because it's like, oh, this isn't fair, but it was, a, it was an opportunity for me that other guys didn't have, you know, like – Guys, would, there's a funny story. When I went from high A to triple A, on paper, it just looks like a guy's going to triple A. You get called up to triple A, right? But, like, I guess the guys that have been around a little bit would understand that I'm not staying there. I'm going to fill a hole. You know, it's an opportunity to pitch in triple A so you can make the most of it. And if you don't do great, it's like – it's kind of like you're an underdog. You're not supposed to do great. So – um, guys were telling – there was a rumor going around that I was going to get called up, um, that guys had bought me suits. And when I came back, guys were like, dude, that's messed up. What, like, oh, how, how, what was it like? Did this guy buy you a suit? I'm like, no. But all the goof, all the guys joking around in the clubhouse, you know, you got all the downtime. They're stirring the pot, getting people worked up. So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was funny that, <laughs> that guys got that worked up about it, but – I mean, I was I was always forced to have a good routine and to stay ready for whatever whatever I was asked to do. Yeah, and Bobby, you bounced around a little bit too, didn't you? Yeah, I was uh, I was always bouncing around. I was always having a different role. Um, and similar to what what Zach said, it's like the 
the headspace you have to be in to, you know, okay, this, I might, I might get called up and play the bench guy for a week and then go back down and get to be a starting guy for a week and uh, maybe get to start at shortstop one game and then go to, okay, you're in center field next game. It's a, how he described it as the mindset is a successful mindset for that type of role is this is an opportunity. Like you're the underdog, just go out there and do what you do, you know, turn some heads because that, that opportunity in my eyes is a lot better than, um, than the opportunity of being the guy that, okay, you're a low a guy this year. And if you play well, maybe we'll call you up in August, in August and give you a few uh, high a at bats. Whereas a Zach, you know, it's they trust you enough to, all right, you're going to go up there and you're going to do your thing. And it's not going to be, might not be six shutout, but it's not going to be, you know, an inning in the third with, you know, 10 walks. So that's, it's a good headspace to be in with that mindset of it's a good opportunity or the underdog. Um, you know, I like to, the competitor in you wants to be that everyday prospect guy. But at the same time, if you can take that outlook of opportunity and make the most of it, you could force your way up the ladder. Didn't you skip a whole level? And it was like you were you were going to fill the hole, and you did well, and you ended up staying. Yeah, that was my first year. I uh, my first spring training, I was an extended for about a month, and guy gets hurt. I was one of the older guys in extended. I don't even remember honestly who else was down there. Send me up. Had a really good month while I was filling in for one of the guys, and you know the manager basically from the, the story he told me was that he, he told the, the farm director that, you know, let's keep, I'm going to keep this kid here. He was, did well for us. Like he's good enough to play here, which was great for me uh, to get the backing of that guy in hindsight. Maybe it wasn't great because he wasn't really looked on to, upon too favorably by the organization. So, you know, however that worked, you know, if that had any, any negative effects on, on me where the guy that nobody likes is backing you as a player, but it was great that somebody had my back and that, you know, you perform well and somebody recognizes it in an underdog role. Gotcha. Dude, Dan, so I wanted to tell this story, and I told you my favorite Bobby story is when they told him he was going to have a day off, and <laughs> he, he comes off the bench and hits a home run, and I was like, dude, this is awesome. Like, it kind of summed you up. It kind of summed Beach. it up. Like, yeah, it was awesome. You're like, oh, so Myrtle, so off. I'll get to, it wasn't even a day off. Honestly, it was. So the situation was, it was like two weeks, what two weeks left in the season. We're in Myrtle beach. Myrtle beach is a good spot to go out. in if you're a visiting player. So it was at that point where I had just not been playing. Like the guy that I was, that I took over for had come back. He was playing every game. Like he needed his at bats. So there's no days off for him. So I was just basically on the bench hanging out every single day. So I decided to, okay, let's go out. And we went out and the night got away from, from me. I mean, it was a late night, whatever come, come to the field the next day. And I was actually brought in the manager's office and he's like, I was going to play. He's like, I was going to start you today. And now he's like, I can't start you now. Like you, you know, you're, you know, you're hung over essentially. And I'm like, you know, I'm fine, whatever. No big deal. So what, what was it? It was like a noon game or a two o'clock game, and we're we're it sitting on the hot. bench. Oh, it was a hundred degrees outside. Not a good outside. day. Yeah, not a good day to be out drinking all night. And I'm no. sitting on the bench, and I mean, sure enough, the first what was it? The first inning or the second inning? The kid that was playing that that had come back that I was taking a spot on the roster. He dog he hits a ball at third base. He dogs it down the line. 
So the manager blows up, looks at me. He's like, you're going in. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going in. Sure enough, I get up like two innings later, first pitch I see, home run. I ended up I, – I remember the game because we only got three hits that game and I had two hits. And there was like a big team meeting afterwards and then we went to Kinston. Where was Kinston? Yeah. For, where's Kinston? North Carolina, South Carolina? I don't know where it's at. I think it's in North Carolina. So Kinston and we have a team meeting there too and – you know, manager cracks a joke about what had happened. Um, but I honestly think if I had done terribly that game or if I didn't perform nearly as well, like I, I probably would have been sent home or at least fined or something extreme. But, yeah, You're we only six got – tool player. You're six I tool mean, player. we were we, we were facing – the kid that was pitching was a lefty, and he was in the big leagues the next year. Like he, he was – Was it Oberholzer? Like, no, it was uh, Sam – Sam something? This kid named uh, – left i'll look it up and i'll i'll remember but first pitch i saw i mean that ball i don't know why it looked like a beach ball to me i was i could barely keep my eyes open took it 331 down the line no dude, <laughs> dude it was a laser it was <laughs> i crushed i crushed it was it. awesome it was like as a player you're like yeah you're like cheering for bobby you know you're like you know the situation <laughs> you're in the locker room you know yeah and you're like oh my gosh this is gonna be well one it's just gonna be good watching you're like something could happen you're like he could just like wear one. He could not swing. Like anything could happen. It was all pure entertainment because everybody had known. Everybody knew I. I felt like shit. And it was awesome. And that. And honestly, what made part of that story too was what was going on in the dugout while, like right after I got put in the game. So I got put in the game, and Rick Zagoni was pitching. If you remember that. Yeah, yeah. And this is Myrtle Beach when we're playing. They had Hayward. Uh, Freddie Freeman, Cody, they, they had like five, Johnson. six big leaguers. Yeah, five, yeah. six big leaguers on this team. And all you hear is yelling coming from the dugout. Our our manager and this player just yelling at each awesome. other, swearing at each other. Yeah, you were in the dugout, so you would – you know. Like it was – the game was like stopped. It was awesome. It was – that that all the theatrics made it made it a great story. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that, was, that was a <laughs> fond memory of mine just from pro ball. So, Zach, I, I want to segue here. So, you and I talked to – it was probably like a year ago, but you were at a big combine. You are watching a lot of really high-level prospects pitch, and there was a pitching guy there who you said he kind of lacked feel, and he was kind of tinkering with guys and, like, trying to show them new mechanical stuff right before they were about to go on stage, essentially, and throw their best for you and, you know, 20, 30 other scouts. Um you know, being a minor leaguer for so long and a major leaguer, how do you feel like the feel that you've learned, like what matters, what doesn't matter as a player? Do you feel like all pitching coaches have that? All hitting coaches have that? Or do you see more guys today that maybe lack that feel where they're trying to change someone and like it almost screws them up before they go like display what they can do? Well, one, I don't know a lot about the new guys. Like I don't see them work. Uh, you know, I try and listen to a lot of guys talk. Um, in Zoom and just read what they put out. Um, but I'll say that I think your your relationship with the player matters, um, how long you've known them, how well you know them. Um, and then ultimately, like, my job for me, when I'm, I'm there to evaluate, I'm not there to give them feedback, really. I mean, if I'm in a coaching role, I might give more feedback or just say, like, basic things, this is what, I think you would, would help you. Um, but I mean, you know, when you're, when you're getting ready to compete, I think the, the focus should be competing 
and you know what you're getting ready to compete and not worrying about um, a mechanical adjustment or you know how to throw a certain pitch. Uh, I, I just don't. I don't know enough players. I don't, my relationship with players isn't, I don't know them like that to, to give them that kind of information. Um, maybe at some point I will throughout the season, but not, not in the, uh, not in those kind of environments. Yeah. Bobby, what do you, what's your policy? Like, do you tinker with guys much before they go in a game? Absolutely not. Like the game is a, if, if I'm going to say anything to somebody, but during a game and, you know, the biggest thing, the the most relatable situation I can give is I help with an independent team in Chicago. Um, so I'll coach first base for a lot of the home games. I won't travel with the team, but I'm out there. I throw batting practice and guys will ask questions. Sometimes, sometimes you're just, you know, standing around and guys are BS and similar to how when we played. And the, and the big thing is we never talk mechanics. I mean, we really, if we talk mechanics, it's a, it's a very minor adjustment. And, and basically it's those guys just asking what I can see from my vantage point, which is, you know, if I'm throwing batting practice, I'm looking head on, you know, it's not, Hey, why don't, you know, why don't you turn your hip close a little further? Like I, I'll never, I'll never do that because I don't want unsolicited advice as, if I was the player, but at the same time, if they, you know, there's always good dialogue and we've all been in the locker room. Like we're always talking about certain things and certain stuff. I just would never give the, you know, in-game advice of, Hey, like spread out a little bit. Like your stance is way too wide. It's, it's an approach. What are we looking for? You know, this is what this guy's done. This is a scouting report. Let's, let's have a plan on how we're going to be successful against this guy, work on whatever you want to work on in the cage and outside of the competition. And uh, I mean, the competition is, is just that like you, you train all day, all winter, all whatever spring training for that competition part, like the, that's the time to compete, not the time to refine whatever you've been tinkering for six months, which is, and it's uh, from the scouting side, Zach, I, what I am curious and probably a lot of people that are watching, how much do you like watching games and how much do you like, you know, the amateur showcase, uh, you know, the controlled environment, like which one do you put more stock in? You know, I know I always like watching kids in games and seeing how they compete against each other but I showcases are huge, you know, whatever situation you guys had talked on the phone about that's, that's a showcase environment where they're specifically there to get seen for tools. So, I mean, as a scout, what do you like more well, or what do you prefer? Well, and before he answers that Zach's being like his less animated self about that story, because you're pretty fired up about it. You're like, dude, this guy is yeah. trying to change yeah. these kids before they go out and and like showcase themselves for 30 scouts at an important event. He's like, this guy needs to stop what he's doing. Like, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't have, so I was kind of like in that situation, like the guy, I, like he could have been telling him the exact perfect thing. I didn't know, but I, all I knew was that these guys are about to go into a game and there's like, there's, it just didn't feel right. Like, the bullpen prior to the game is where the pitcher is trying to get locked in. And like I said, there may have been some past relationship or something like that with it. I wasn't privy to, but um, just in general, when you're trying to have a, like a pitching lesson before a game, it, it, it didn't seem like the right thing for me. Yeah. 
right. So, so an, an example, and this is kind of talking about what Zach said. I have a, I have a, a prep shortstop that went to a showcase and I, and for my money, this kid is a high level shortstop. Like he's got, he's got tools. And I told him like, look, when you're throwing, like show off your arm, you know, they, you're at a showcase, showcase it. So I look at the numbers after the showcase and he throws 89 across a diamond, which is a good number. No, don't get me wrong. That's a strong arm for a 16 year old kid, but we've had him up to 92. And he tells me when he comes back, he's like, I go, did you let it loose? And he's like, no, the guy that was standing, you know, calling out the numbers said, don't throw it as hard as you can be accurate. And I almost lost my shit. Uh, and to the point where I wanted to call somebody there because these kids are paying two, $300 to go to the showcase. And then you got guys at the showcase telling them not to show off their, their attributes to the fullest, to the fullest extent. Like I'm getting heated just thinking about it. And guy, like you said, you don't know what this kid, what this guy is telling this kid, but he could be telling him, Hey, don't try and throw hard, try and locate. And you're back there with the gun and the kid's throwing 84 and you put the gun away and like, all right, next guy. When he could really yeah. maybe throw 94, you know, who knows, who knows what these kids, what these guys are saying. It's just at some point, just sit there and let the kid perform. Yeah. Well, so to answer the question about what I think the, the, um, showcase setting and the game setting are two different things. One, you're going to get to see tools in the showcase setting. That's what it's set up to do. You get to see him run. You get to see him hit BP. You get to see him uh, see some range, see some uh, see some arm strength, all those things. And and then ultimately, like I, I'd prefer to see a game, but if you don't have the tools, you might not get them in the game because right. you, you might not see a shortstop get any ground balls. You might not see a kid face any velo. You might not see BP or, or whatever it is. So, um, and, and, and as, as a scout, you get both most of the time. I mean, you do get the showcase setting, whether it's a scout day or going to a practice or with, with the high school guys, you get, you know, you see the showcase and you, and you can see the games too. So, um, I think it's like trying to balance them. I mean, you want, baseball aptitude you want instincts you want those things you want to see them just so you have a feel for the player but um i prefer to watch a game i, I like games better I, it it's just it it makes more sense to me um I, I when you see the tools like you may have really good tools but you might not be a great baseball player and you don't get that great you don't get that good of a sense of that from just the showcase setting not that you you might have a you know like hey i don't i wonder how this kid plays he looks kind of raw whatever yeah. but you, you get a better sense for that um when you watch him play the game when you watch him run the bases when you watch just them maneuvering at bat maneuver at bats throughout a game and when showcase settings i mean whether it's just a showcase with no game or the showcase when you're facing a new arm every time up um it's kind of hard to get in that rhythm of the game, like the game has less rhythm in general. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Bobby, how often does a guy actually, so like we've talked before about showcases for like infielders. And a lot of times I feel like you see infielders just take a ground ball and then it's like mega crow hop and then they throw it as hard as they can across the diamond. Like, does that have any relevance? Does that have any relevance? Like if you throw... I mean, Zach, what no, do you no. do if you see that? You see a kid like fields the ball as a shortstop and then just kind of like 
stops being a shortstop for a minute and throws it as hard as he freaking can. Does that tell you anything? I mean, in my in my amateur in my amateur scouting opinion, I think yeah. Give us your throws, give us your your yeah your dog crap you. opinion, Bobby. Well, I think the throws at a showcase are to show how strong the kid's arm is. Even they're not going to throw the ball that hard in the game. Usually, they don't have to. Like if it's a ground ball hit at you, you don't need to hundred percent it. But I'm always looking when I'm watching guys in the infield. I'm looking at their feet. I'm looking at how their body's working and how they're getting in the position to throw. And then I don't really watch the throw at a showcase necessarily. Like I'd much rather watch the throws of a pre, a, you know, pre-inning crown balls from the first baseman just to see like where they're taking them from. You know, I always took it like deep, deep shortstop, almost behind the third base pre-inning. Um, you know, I'd rather see that as just me. Like I'm always watching the feet at a show pay to play showcase as opposed to the, you know, that, that shuffle, shuffle, crow hop throw is uh, – if everyone's going to do it, you might as well do it and just get the number because everyone's at the end of the day is going to look at that number, that arm velocity number. But I don't think it has any relevance. Arm, arm velocity. Thinking. Zach, how do you feel about the word arm, arm talent? talent. Uh, arm, see arm how, talent. See how, yeah, see what kind of Who do you want me to see? You he's know a 20 what? to arm 80. Arm talent is he, a freight. He's a 70. He's, he's got a, an 80 arm talent. <laughs> Well, dude, I'm glad that Wynn backed you up on that because if he, if Dan had asked me, I wouldn't. I've never heard that before, but I don't pay attention to to the the breaking down of football players. Well, you so, you haven't watched Wynn, any Dan Marino tapes? Bob's, Bob's been exposing. Oh, yeah, but I, nobody. I don't watch what they're saying. I'm watching him and his arm talent. That's what you're watching. Just yeah, stop. I mean, Just go I back into your Chicago igloo and leave your arm talent. Um, it's actually freezing in the room I'm in right now. It's 77 and balmy out right now here in DC. Um, but Zach, what what you know? If there's a, a father of an infielder, an infielder's listening to this, what should they focus on if they're taking their? They got 20 scouts watching them at a showcase. They're taking ground balls. What should the kid do? Just like be his normal self, or like yeah, field the ground ball and throw it. I mean, dude, look, the, the way ground balls are set up is for you to showcase your ability. So. You feel the ball in front of you, you feel the ball to your backhand, show off your arm, you feel the ball up the middle, uh, you come in on a ball, like all those things, they're all there to see to see body control. I mean, you know, you, if you don't have arm strength, like you still got to get the ball. To, arm talent, please. <laughs> oh, if you don't have arm talent, you still got to get the ball to first base. So, um, you know, I think, I think each person, depending on what your skills are, like if you're a guy who's got really good hands and, and, is, and moves really well, like – you're that's what you're going to show off and if you're a guy with a good arm like i think having arm talent is important but i also think that when you take five steps and shuffle it really just shows arm strength and it still has to be usable um by being able to get have a clean transfer getting rid of the ball quickly having your feet under you all those kinds of things like if you can pitch the ball from the hole uh, that's not a real realistic play to me. I yeah, mean, no, sure. nobody does that. So, um, and I understand that, but like, you don't get a great feel for much other than arm strength, really, or arm talent, wherever. <laughs> <laughs> arm but talent, yeah, I mean, arm talent. Plays. I'd say, I'd say, focus on what you're good at, and you know, if you're showcasing, you should be ready to showcase, not, you know. Be the hardest your, part, best I self. think, yeah, the yeah. hardest part I think at these showcases is the batting practice aspect because 
the guy throwing batting practice is usually throwing to a hundred kids. And if yeah. you're not, if you don't get a good round, like I've been that guy that's thrown to 50, 60 kids in a row. And you I know, know I'm there's, yeah. well, I know, but I know that there's like two or three kids in that group that I just completely effed over because I didn't throw <laughs> them one decent pitch. And it's like, you feel terrible about it. I know this, I know as a scout, you're probably look, you're looking at a lot more things than just the flight of the ball. But if this kid's not getting anything to hit, you feel terrible as a guy on the other side of, of, uh, of the showcase. Speaking of ending but kids' too, careers, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll come in afterward. Well, if it also, like, I mean, dude, I'm not, I played a position in college. Like, I hit a bunch of BP off like questionable BP throwers. And I felt like that's no excuse to not square the ball up. Like, okay, maybe I'm not showcasing my big power, but like, is your BP that bad where you can't, like, if you legit don't get a strike, people get, like, people notice. Yeah, I think that sure. you have to be able to kind of make do with what you got. Every situation's not going to be ideal or perfect. And if they are, that's awesome. That's, you know, that's, that's great. And hopefully you capitalize, but if not, you still got to be able to play. You still got to be, you need know, do what you're doing in BP. Yeah. That's, that's, that's also a good point of view. Um, so Zach, we, uh, this was going to be a good segue and then Bobby jumped in. Good job, Bobby. Um, <laughs> Soli- unsolicited advice from coaches or other players. So kind of like doubling back to your career. So your last season when you and I were teammates, you were coming back from being a knuckleballer the previous year, trying to be a conventional pitcher again, found yourself for the second half of the that first season. And then you came back the next year, showed up at spring training, banged up with your shoulder. So you weren't healthy, trying to find your feel for your mechanics and you struggled. And a lot of guys were giving you a lot of different pieces of advice and you were pushing back. So tell us about that situation and that whole dynamic between whether it's coaches or your peers giving you advice that maybe you do or don't want or maybe they do and do or don't understand like the the thing you're trying to do. Well, I was in a spot where I I was searching. I mean, I was I was hurt or just not 100 percent, maybe expired might be the right word um and i was trying to get back like i was trying to come back and i was i wanted i wanted input from people that i valued their input and it was a sticky situation because i as teammates i valued those guys but i don't want everybody's input on what i need to be doing like there were certain guys who i trusted and that I felt like had an understanding of me and what I had been through and what I was looking for. And then there were guys who just wanted to tell me what they thought I should be doing. And, you know, it's as a pitching staff, you're together a lot and, and you kind of work through things individually with a lot of people around. And it was probably my, you know, I brought a lot of it on myself, but, you know, I found myself like basically telling dudes to, beat it because they were just telling me what they thought I needed to do and where I was. And I'm like, dude, just like, you don't know what it feels like right now. Like I'm, I'm searching for a feeling and, and that may have been part of it too. Like I was searching and uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, it kind of goes back to what I said before. The relationship has to be right. You have to be ready to receive things or in a place to receive things. And if, you know, guys could be giving you the best information, if you're not ready to receive it, it, 
it doesn't matter, you know? So, you know, I probably wasn't ready to receive much and uh, it made it seem like I was open to hearing anything. Yeah. Do you and, feel like, and I really wasn't. Do you feel like coaches, how long will a coach go if you're, say, maybe just like even politely not taking their input before they just kind of like, ah, because that happened to me later yeah. that same season. Like I was struggling or next next year and a coach basically labeled me a head case. He kept giving me advice that I knew was not good advice for me. It just like, I was, I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, that's not it. And then right. I didn't do it. And I did what I thought I needed to do as a, you know, this is my seventh year. And um, he's like, ah, oh, Blewett's over there doing his weird thing. Blewett's all messed up in the head. Blewett's a head case. And that, yeah. it was like, we were, like, he was on my side two weeks prior. And then suddenly he was like, what, you know, Blewett's, Blewett's screwed. And it's like, okay, dude. Well, I think there's a couple things at work here. Because now I feel like there's a, there's the coaching environment now is a lot different than it was five years ago. And I feel like the influx of coaches now are very much focused on the individual and what they need to get better. Um, it, it seems that way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting coached and I'm not around coaches a lot, but I try and listen to as much as I can about what is like, I mean, it's, it's happening. Coaches are coming in from college and they're, there's a lot of younger coaches and, and just the emphasis tends to be the individual. And I think for both of us, like we were at a part in our career where it, we, we were just at the end of our careers and um, I just think, you know, we were at a different place than a lot of people are who are just starting their journey into getting into pro baseball or college or whatever. Um, you know, we were kind of specific in what we were looking for and we knew what we wanted and didn't know how to get there or had been there before. And we're trying to get back. And I don't think that relates well to the high school kid or the college kid. Um, and I think that the, the coaches that are in place now, that may be a strength where they're giving guys, Hey, this is, if this is what you want, it's like a menu. I've heard people present it as a menu. This is, this is, these are a bunch of things that we can do to help you get to where you want to be. And you are the one that gets to choose. So you have some, um, like you have more of a, a sense of direction and, and like, it's your career. It's, it's, you are the one who's making these choices and, and they're just giving you options. Um, whereas I feel like more so with us at, when we were coached, it was more like, this is the way that we're doing stuff. And I, I, I've never been, that I need to do something from a coach that that I was like I don't know like I mean I, I was lucky I didn't guys kind of let me go part of that was because I was uh, you know I was kind of a bonus like I, I didn't it, my, my success was not they, they weren't heavily invested in me it's like whatever we get from Zach is is icing on the cake right yeah that's fair um, well, that's, Bob, go ahead. That's interesting. No, that's just interesting from Zach's perspective. It's like the, at least from my time in professional baseball, it's the best coach, best coaches I ever had basically were just there as sounding boards for what you needed 
and what you expressed that you needed. Like, I, I can't remember any really good coaches that I had that sought out like me or anybody else and told them like, Hey, that you're not doing this right. Or you're not doing it this way, this way, this way. Like those got. I feel like that's what the, the best guys, like the players coaches, uh, that's a good quality that they have. I mean, I could rattle off a dozen guys like off the top of my head that I thought were great coaches. And I can't necessarily pinpoint anything that they told me specifically about baseball. I just remember them being there as a, as a, like almost in my toolbox, like if I wanted ground balls and if I had a question, those were guys I could go to and I could trust that their input, um, Pitching, I feel like, is a lot different because you guys are around each other a lot and you're essentially all trying to perform the same task. Whereas if I'm sitting on the bench as a position guy, like I'm a, I'm a middle infielder and the other guy might be a catcher, another guy might be an outfielder. So we're not really – I mean, we're in the same boat, but we're kind of not. So it's a little bit different dynamic, I think, on the bench and maybe in the bullpen when you guys are sitting around talking to each other. Um, but it's – yeah, I mean, the best coaches – that I've ever had, I've never forced something. It's been a collaborative effort. It's been an open dialogue and it's basically the, the players are leading the leading what they need. And that's, that's how it should be. You know, you know, you know yourself best, especially at the professional level. Like, well, when you're you 21 or 22, you probably don't know yourself as well as you think you do. And you probably you need some yourself, structure. Sure. But you definitely know yourself better than that guy knows you. So if yeah, that's the but case, you don't like, know yourself be better that than that dialogue. guy knows pro baseball. Maybe not pro baseball, but the but the dialogue has got to be there's got to be some kind of dialogue as opposed to a mandate. I think. I mean, even there's certain things that need structure, but at the end of the day, it's like you want to take hold of your career, and it's a tough it's a tough thing to do as a young player. Um, you know, Zach was a fifth year guy, so essentially he's an older guy that gets comes into the professional ranks older than probably a lot of the guys and the level that he went to. Like just by yeah, then all by of virtue of older than yeah. all of them. That's so you, 23, you have a yeah, you have a maturity, you have a you have a uh, like a mental maturity as to an approach with like other adults because all these coaches are obviously older than than the players. Yeah, I just think it gets like that's clearly a good trend for baseball. It's still I think we're still seeing a lot of opinionated younger players who they know more than we ever did when we were coming up. And I think they can get into these environments where they're like, well, I've been doing this program. I'm not doing it your way. It's like, well, Sonny, you don't really know what pro baseball is like. Like this isn't college workload. It's not, you know, 70 innings anymore. It's going to be 160 innings this year for you, or it's going to be three times the games. So maybe like some of your stuff before, and this is what we talked about, you know, a couple episodes ago with some of uh, the things mentioned in the book, the MVP machine with, you know, the main character, basically just telling the whole front office to go screw themselves that he was doing it his own way. Um, it's like, you don't necessarily know what the way is yet. Right. I mean, Zach, did you see guys like that on their, the OFP guys who maybe should have listened a little more to some wisdom? Yeah. I, I think it, I think some of it might be uh, like a defense mechanism, just like there's comfort in knowing what you know, and there's discomfort in the unknown. And when you're trying to do a new program, that you don't know, um, it's scary. And, and it's, it's kind of given up some control. And, and I think there's a balance. Like, I think ultimately as a player, you need to know who you are and what your strengths are and what you need to get better at. And 
when there's an open communication between the player and the organization or the team um, and they and the goals are clear, then you can move forward with a program that works. Um, because if, there, if that isn't the case and you've got a, a team that wants one thing and a player that wants another or they want they have two different ways of getting there that aren't agreed upon, it, there just becomes like unneeded tension and conflict that, that is is slowing down the process of the ultimate goal, which is getting better and getting to a point where, you know, you need to be or want to be. It's going to help both people, both parties. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Um, Bob, that's I mean, it. huh? I thought that was good. I thought that was a good answer. That was a good answer. That was a good answer. It's not even good. There's a criticism. There's a harsh critique by Dan. Dan. That's tough. Man. That wasn't tough that critic. wasn't a critique. That was me trying to. That was just okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> for those of you out here listening, we're here with uh, pompous Zach Clark. Uh, no. Um, well, how did things change? So you were scouting for the Astros, and then you've been with the Rays a couple years now. Um, how have things changed organizationally? Uh, I mean, I'm sure the Rays do things a little bit differently, but are any big like? Any big differences stick out either for you as a scout or things you notice them doing on the field? Obviously not like trade secrets, but just like just general stuff. How's the transition well, been? I mean, I, I, I can't say enough good things about the Rays. I, I don't have any uh, like hard feelings or anything with the Astros. I just I was learning how to scout there and I, everything was new to me. Um, and now I'm with the Rays and, you know, I'm still learning. Um, I've just been there a little bit longer. Um, like the people, I like the open lines of communication. That's a big thing. Just being able to ask questions or, you know, if you have any, any issues, there's people to talk to about it, whether it's, I don't know, anything just in the whole range of what you could be dealing with as a person from professional stuff. Um, the Rays just focus a lot on people, which I really like. Um, in terms of stuff I see on the field, uh, the game is a little bit different in terms of when I played like uh, BP. Sometimes there's less of it. They do different things at BP. I know um, they do infield outfield before BP sometimes, um, especially like I don't spend a lot of time in, in scouting pro ball at the higher levels. A lot of our assignments are at the lower levels in the Penn league. And um, I find that those games, you know, the home team is out, doing infield outfield doing early work for their bp once their bp's over they're done and then the other team comes on and mm -hmm. has a more traditional bp uh you know stretch i and then they do their io and you'd hit bp then the other team would hit bp then you come out and do infield outfield right bobby isn't that not what we did i know pitchers yeah, we just had to be out for chain gang so yeah you guys had to be out for you know i don't remember io being a thing it maybe once a week if we did it you know it was more of a I felt like, and I only have uh, experience with two organizations as a player. Um, I felt like if you were playing well, like if the team was doing okay and like everybody was kind of progressing how they wanted, then early work guys had their schedule and then we did batting practice and infield outfield almost felt like punishment. Um, <laughs> it was like, Hey, we've got, we're taking an infield outfield today. And everyone was kind of like, shit. Why? I love taking infield outfield. Like it's fun. Like I, I enjoy that as a as a just a player. But I don't remember ever having to do it 
we always had some form of early work, whether it was infielders, catchers, bunting. Somebody had early work with the coaches, and a lot depended on who was in town. You know, the rovers, the roving guys, and the infield guys in town, the infielders had early work because he had something he needed to emphasize. Um, you know, it's good to hear that, not from just you, but like when talked about like the lines of communication and clear path seems to be much more prevalent now than it ever was from what I, from when I played. And maybe it was just my status as a player as not a prospect essentially, but it felt, it feels like the game is definitely trending towards communication, like open line. This is where you need to be. Like Love we open have lines. an actual open lines are the best open lines open of communication. Lines. Give them the keys. Street. Give them the keys to the car. Give them the keys to the boat. Make sure they got that <laughs> arm talent. talent. Bobby's yeah, collecting collecting buzzwords. I'm I have a whole toolbox full of buzzwords for you guys. And we're gonna make arm talent shirts <laughs> for sure. I'm gonna make them. <laughs> it's gonna but be yeah. I feel like communication communication is just. You know, as the, I don't remember L, uh, IO being a thing um, that we did. I feel like we did it on Sundays. I don't know why Sundays sticks out to me because we never took batting practice on Sunday. I feel like IO was a thing on Sunday. Well, when you skip levels, that's what you remember. You just oh you yeah, the, the, the big prospects, guys. the mm-hmm. prospect yeah. status. My signing bonus was so big I could afford to demand IO if I wanted it. Hey man, once you sign, it doesn't matter. It's where you're that's at. It's true. You would you would hope at least that's the case. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's go ahead. Let's go back to the knuckleball. So people don't know anything about knuckleballs. And there was, I think, I think this moment's passed, but I feel like three or four years ago, there were a lot of people who were like sending YouTube videos themselves in to be like, Hey, I can be a major league knuckleballer. Look, look, watch me do this thing. And it's like, no, 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 never, never, never will you come on our field. Who was the guy? Do you remember that there, there, there was some, oh, in majors, a few of them. There are a couple. Are there but any? Dickie are there the any active ones now? Like... Yeah, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, R.A. Dickey, Eddie Gamboa for a little bit. Hey, um, name dropper. Yeah, I mean, no, he was a knuckleballer, dude. Like he was. Sure. Who's active yeah. right now? I don't, he might still even be playing somewhere. I think he's in Mexico right now. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. There, there may have been. Oh, there's another dude with uh, Mickey Janice. Oh yeah. Yes. We, yeah, he, he was playing. in the Atlantic League. Is he really? Yeah, I think with the dude, I'm he gets, not. He got signed by the I'm Mets. Say the Mets out of the Atlantic League. He might be with another team then, because I, I, but or he's with the Mets still, but he's still playing. I think. Um, yeah. What about the knuckleball? Well, so you switched to it, and people. I don't think anyone has like a, a realistic understanding of like what that takes and just how. There's no handbook for it. There's no coaches that can really like help you do it. So like, what was that? Yeah. So ex- a, a number one, explain the circumstances from which you suddenly became a knuckleballer because we glossed through that, but that's an interesting story in itself. But then, how was that transition? Um. So they basically had asked me like, "Look, you're. I mean, I'm and I'm paraphrasing and kind of like shortening it up, but like, look, man, you do some things well. You can field your position. You can hold runners." Uh, you, you understand the game, but your stuff doesn't separate you from anybody. We can go off and get anybody like you off off the waiver wire. So we like you, and we want to we want to give you a chance. Would you throw the knuckleball? And like there had been some stuff where I had thrown it. I threw it for Phil Necro in in the spring training, and um, I had just thrown it enough so that people knew that I threw it. But 
I'd never thrown it in a game. And um, basically when I got designated for assignment and taken off the roster, they asked me like, Hey, would you come back as a knuckleballer? And I was like, man, I'm 30 years old. I've had two shoulder surgeries, like preparation for to just be at the level that I wanted to be on a daily basis for my shoulder took a lot. Um, and it was kind of exhausting. And I thought this would like kind of alleviate some of that. Um, just like strain of you just hang out being, and just go like throw beach balls. Yeah. I mean, there was more to it than that. Like you still had to do stuff, but it was like, I didn't have to worry about if I threw 87, <laughs> even though like, I mean, 87 was like good instead of like 87, not being good. Yeah. Um, 11 so, year olds. Like it, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's throwing hard. Um, so I was like kind of in the mindset where like, I just had a taste and I was under the impression in my head that like I could do it. And I still, I felt like I could do it. I didn't, I think I underestimated how hard it would be. Um, and it was hard. It was really hard. I mean, it was, I, I had to learn, I learned so much about myself. Um, I, there were times, and I've told you this, Dan, where I felt like somebody dropped me out in the middle of the ocean with a blindfold on and was like, Hey, go, go swim the shore. And I'm like, nobody even wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to tell you anything like they don't, because they don't know and they don't want to give you the wrong thing. I had coaches that I really respected. Like, dude, what are you doing? What are you, you could have gone to somewhere else and pitched normally. What are you doing? I was like, I, I kind of was like looking at it as a way to bet on myself. Um, I just wasn't good at it. Like I, I needed more time. I don't think I gave myself the best chance to be good. Um, I changed, I tried to change my mechanics and, and really I shouldn't have, I mean, going back to Eddie Gamboa, like he, he pitched, he threw the knuckleball like he pitched conventionally and, and meshed the knuckleball into that. And I tried to make myself, I tried to change myself to, to be what I thought a knuckleballer was. And, and it, and it wasn't the right thing to do. I mean, it just wasn't good. Well, um, for those listening, uh, I mean, like Zach saying, like he tried to do it and he wasn't good, but like, your knuckleball was like well known as being like filthy, like a Disgusting. like that's why that's why they made you a knuckleballer. So I, I know you like just kind of moved past that, but for people listening, Zach, like I remember I caught it once I think in college, and people didn't want to play catch with you and you'd throw it because I like it was like it, it defied like all that was holy. It was like sorcery. Like you'd throw it and <laughs> it was like kind of hard like for catch, but then it would just like literally take an eighteen inch right turn. You're like like get that away from me that's gonna hit me in the nuts like it's gonna hit me in the face like what the get out of here like don't throw that to me ever again like that's what your knuckleball was that's why the orioles gave you a chance because they said that, that you the best knuckleball of anyone that they knew of essentially well and yeah i mean yeah but it I takes more than that for granted no it does and 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 i think i got away from that like i tried to make it I, I overcomplicated it by trying to be – I thought I had to become a knuckleballer. And like, oh, Bobby, you got the, got the nice background. You <laughs> mentioned the beach. You just, I, you just noticed it, that. It was cold here. I decided to warm it up. I was trying to yeah. change mine, so, but I don't know how to do it under pressure. I'm afraid to like hit the wrong buttons and mess up the recording oh, yeah. here. You got a lot going on because you're hosting. Yeah, this is um, very, very tense. Um, yeah, so but, I, I think I just overcomplicated it. I mean, that was like I tried to do too much with it because I, like there was no I think the idea that nobody was there to help stressed me out or like I, I felt like I had to, you know, I did research. I was like, OK, Ari Dickey moves like 
like this. He doesn't really, he takes away all added motion. He you want to kill the spin of the ball. Like, and those were things that I think it took away from my knuckleball. And, and, and it ultimately like, dude, it was, I went, I started in double A and went down and never came back up. And it, I mean, there were times where I did have a little bit of success, but not, not nearly to the point where you want to say this is working or you feel good about it. Um, I, I literally went out there every time and had no idea what was going to happen. And that's a really uncomfortable feeling for a guy who it, like most times when I got on the mound, I knew where the baseball was going when it left my hand. I had a pretty good idea and I took comfort in that. And this was the opposite. And I wasn't very good at it. So, well, and, and one of the things that I think, is important to stress is that there's a lot of different ways to throw a knuckleball. You can throw it slow, like, you know, a la Tim Wakefield, or you can throw it super hard, which is what you're referencing with Eddie Gamboa. Cause most people probably don't know who Eddie, Eddie Gamboa is. I barely know who he is. He was like an up and down, like brief, brief major leaguer in a couple of seasons, right. With the Orioles. But then but there's R.A. Dickey, but he didn't then throw there's it hard. R.A. Dickey, right. Who threw it R. R. really hard. Threw it hard. Yeah. But Eddie did not throw it hard. Oh, Eddie I thought he threw, did. I mean, and hard is hard is like if you throw like seventy-seven, that's hard for a knuckleball. Yeah, because Tim and Wakefield was Eddie like sixties, low sixties, slow. I yeah, mean, that yeah. was like slow and big, and 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 I think that even Stephen Wright, like I think Stephen Wright is probably the closest to Dickey, and I don't know much about Mickey Janice. Like I, I don't know about his knuckleball really. Um, his Stephen Wright used to th- he used to throw hard, and. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he throws 77. I mean, if you're throwing 80 miles an hour with a knuckleball, that's like gas. Yeah, it's terrifying. And and most people are more on, closer to 70 than they are 80, typically, from what I've seen. Got it. Um, so, well, yeah, like there's – So I was a – I don't want to cut you off, Parker. I was a teammate of – You already cut us off. Just keep – the way this works, Bobby, is you just cut them off and then you go. You get in that seam and then you, it's like a you're you're I'm running back. Mute, get I'm in about, that seam and you go. Over, and you go. I'm taking over host studies go, and I'm muting both of you go, guys for the next and 20 go. minutes. Don't make me say, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> no, just get in that seam and break a tackle and go. So the Barry Sanders in me was – I was I was teammates with Mickey Janice. So what made him so successful is that he also threw like 91 and he would throw the fastball and it would look like a hundred and everything he threw was hard. So this knuckleball was probably mid seventies and the thing looked like a dart. Now, Eddie Gamboa was my first roommate in pro ball. Um, and Eddie never was a, he always had a knuckleball, right? Like the guy would throw the knuckleball and you handcuff you and you get pissed <laughs> off because yeah. he's, because he's bruising your thumbs. Uh, but Eddie was also a – he was like a 50-year senior guy. He had a, I think he had surgery in college. Never overpowering, but always like a – he was – you two were very super similar. Feel. Like, super feel. Super manipulate the pitching. baseball, cut yes. it, sink it, spin it. He was good. Successful dude. Really good changeup. Awesome pickoff move. Awesome. Oh, really best, good pickoff move. The best move. right-handed pickoff move I've ever seen. It's so Seriously. fast. He picked, yeah, it was this is what I don't get about Eddie. Watch this. He pitched against the Orioles, who should know him better than anybody, even though the guys in the big leagues probably didn't know him better than anybody. If there's one thing that you – when you when you face Eddie Gamboa, he's super tricky, and he's got an awesome pickoff move, and he picked dudes off. 
<laughs> like, against the Orioles. Like, I don't every, understand it. Like, and it an, an incredible thing. clip. And an incredible clip. Well, like, what's, yeah, the, he, what's he the normal amount? One to two pickoffs a year for a right-hander? Uh, dude, and, it and was like lucky. one a game. And he, yeah, yeah, that's what I, I heard. I mean, it was like 10 a year. Easy. Yeah. That's... And I'm not exaggerating. It was unbelievable. He'd pick him off at second. So what made it he, different? I, I mean, what was it? It was quick. He was really quick. His feet. He was really quick and really accurate, and he was short with his arm. Dude, he was – I mean, just look – I don't know how to look it up in minor league stuff, but you can look up the big league one. He, I mean, it was – because that's what it was. It was really, really good. So this is where we need a producer. We need to be like, Alexa, can you look up Eddie Gamboa just like in uh, the other – and just it shows up. Or if I had planned ahead better, I could have had him pull it up. Because this is going to be on I'll YouTube, obviously, on but phone. Bobby could look it See up. It Screen share with us later, but – if I'm the producer, this is going to take a drastic turn for the worse. You can't be trusted with anything. Yeah, producing not, talent, no, your your no internet talent, nothing. Boy, no, I, I'm not a good tech person. Well, and so, but that was one of your challenges was trying to figure out: can I still throw my regular fastball? Can I still can I mix in conventional stuff with a slow knuckleball? I mean, like, how do you did you go full in to the knuckleball? Like, how do you figure out what your pitch mix should be? Like, what velocity to throw it? Is that just, again, is that just, like, all uncharted territory? You just figure it out as best you can? Yeah, well, I mean, first, like, the effort throwing a knuckleball hard is, like, you realize really quick why, guys, why it's, like, such a a special thing when you can throw it hard. Because not that I – I mean, let's just say I threw 90, right? Like, if I tried to throw a knuckleball hard, it would go, like – I'm like, oh, that one was – I threw that one hard and it'd be like 73 and you're like, all right, I'm not throwing. I'm just going <laughs> to cash out on trying to throw it hard. Cause that's stuff. That's not so our talent. I'm just going to, no. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but then again, when you try and throw it slow, it's like 70, 70, 69. So it's like, there's not that much. You don't really get, I wasn't getting the return on that effort that was taking away my feel. Um, and not to mention it's a whole different feel. You're just trying to figure out – I knew who I was as a conventional guy, and as a knuckleballer, you're trying to figure out, like, one, just throw a good knuckleball every time because that in itself is going to be – it's super unpredictable, you know? But the problem is, like, the guys – you just want to be consistent with the knuckleball because it's not going to be. Yeah. You know, if you could throw a good one every time – Bobby knows he pitched – if you throw hey. a good, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're exactly. So finally, somebody on this podcast recognizing my arm talent for what you it did is. Did have arm talent? Ninety. Without block even... out, block out, Bobby. Did you Bobby throw, could pitch. Did you actually throw ninety? Yeah, that's yeah. not surprising. Oh, yeah. Bobby's a good athlete. I swear. Oh, I'm, I'm the worst yeah, athlete in this conference. This conversation. Dan, so. Dan, I can remember striking out professional hitters, and just with a grin from ear to ear on my face, like. Like I wasn't out there trying to like get the game over. I wanted, I was lobbying to pitch. Like if we were down fifteen Dude, runs, he would like, warm yes. up down the sideline without being asked. He's like, I'm ready, coach. Put me in. <laughs> did no, you like, pitch for Camden one year? I think I think you got an inning with us. I did. I, I, I think you did. It, and there, there were like two big leaguers in that lineup, hmm. and I wanted I to I strike those guys throwing. out. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is they mentally take remember, the, the bat off. So anyway. <laughs> they do take the at bat off against a position guy, but nobody wants to strike out against a position guy. Like they, you True. just want to get through that at bat. True. Uh, the, I, the funny thing is I, I feel like we brought in with the Orioles, a knuckleball coach when 
the when they asked you to transition. Do you remember that? Was there was there a, was yeah, that he, Nico? He was probably, Nico, he was probably yeah. there. So, I mean, that was a thing. I don't know if it was just the Orioles where every level they had a guy trying to transition to a knuckleballer. Well, there were a couple. And th- so I learned later that the Rays had a knuckleball like experiment going. And then Eddie ended up going to the Rays. Right. Um, and and I think the Rays had a um, another couple guys that, that were kind of, they were working on like converting them or guys that threw, you know, could throw one and pitch and, yeah. Dude, it's such a hard thing. I mean, it's such a hard thing. Like, and Bob, you might be able to answer this as a, as a position player, but I know as a pitcher, conventionally, I took pride in having a good tempo to my games. Um, the, the, everybody was always engaged. Uh, the fielders, like, they, I feel like they felt like they were going to get a ball and they were going to yeah, get some action. Right. And, and, and guys, like, I'm not saying that I could control whether guys made errors, but I, it, see, it sure felt like. When I was throwing the knuckleball and like I was just behind in counts and the game just the, the pace was so much slower, there also seemed to be more errors. And I think it like it, it, as a manager, like when you're you're just like forced to make these decisions that like if a guy's cruising, you don't have to think about anything in the third inning because he's cruising. Like you know, oh maybe he had a long fourth inning, but you're not thinking about taking him out in the fifth because he's He's still got control. With the knuckleball, it was like, you're just like, oh, my God, dude, we're only in the third inning. He's 2-2 two, two on everybody or 3-1. And, and the fielders are like getting ready. You know, by the time you get ready, you're like, oh, my God, another ball. Like, it just seemed like the pace was so much slower and so much harder to get into. And yeah. that's like – it was just a hard – that very in itself difficult. was yeah. hard. Yeah, it probably puts the whole, as a position guy. the whole team on edge where I know like one – game this summer with my team where it feels analogous like with younger players they can just hit this point where if they like, don't find themselves they just implode <laughs> like like yeah. like a build like it just it all crashes down and you as a coach so this happened to me once we were in cincinnati we were already like a short staff because we had some injuries in the winter and we had our starting pitcher out there and he gets two outs and then he walks a guy and then he walks another guy and then he walks another guy and you're like after two walks with two outs, like you don't do anything, and it's the first inning. And then after three right. walks, you're like, "This isn't good." And then after four walks, yeah. you're like, "Well, that's not good, but it's only one run." He walked eight batters, and I had to pull him out in the first inning. Got to get the closing. And out, with man. every and with every hitter, you're like, "Is this really the time?" Like I have to go get a guy warmed up, and I feel like that's kind of the same thing. Where if you had a knuckleballer who's really inconsistent, and it's always just like three, two, three, like you just. You're, you just never know if this is going to, like you said, this is the time where you have to hook them. Obviously, that's a much more extreme example that just that killed right. me. Um, because I felt, you know, at that point, I felt like a bad coach. I'm like, well, I hung this kid out there for a 40-pitch inning, but at 20 pitches, it wasn't a nightmare yet. And then at 30 pitches, it was right. becoming a nightmare, but then it takes 10, 15 more pitches to warm somebody up in the bullpen, even if they're fast. <laughs> but anyway, that's just like the hazards of youth baseball sometimes, but... Um, the knuckleball experiment is what people don't realize is you were put into double a, which is the most competitive minor league level with the most talent and told, Hey, do something hitting talent, arm talent, speed talent, run talent, catch talent. They had lots of catch talent, the best looking guys, the tallest guys. It's everybody that's want you, everybody you want to put in a room is in double a, but here, go do something you've never done before. 
uh, while also being surrounded by a team of guys that are that are basically knocking on the door of the big leagues yeah, if they focused. perform well. Mm-hmm. So you're you you're there's so many working parts of that of that story. We it's say moving like we say moving to, parts here in America, but working parts sounds good too. <laughs> there's there's so many moving parts, and you weren't given maybe from my perspective uh, like a fair shake at it. It, fingernail just, talent. You need a bit longer fingernails. Your fingernail well, talent is too how, short. How important? How important is grooming in when you're of when you're a knuckleball guy? Though we, I feel like we've talked. Well, okay. We talked about that. All right. Well, I don't want to like. This is kind of embarrassing, but I'll show you this. Like, my, I bite the crap out of my fingernails, right? So this is what I would always throw. I'll blur that my out. Knuckleball. So. I would throw three fingers and like anything that anybody caught prior to me pitching in a game with a knuckleball was no manicuring, nothing. Right. But I'm like, Oh, I got to be a knuckleball. So I went and got acrylic nails to dig into the ball to give me some, like just something to kind of dig in with performance enhancers. Yeah. That's what that should be illegal. You should have to grow them yourself, but could you give yourself nail steroids that make your nails grow? That's the, that's the thing. Like, but it was like I was scared. You know what? Honestly, what it was is it, I was scared to to just go do it the way that I had done it to that point. Like I thought that I needed to do more. And I think like as a lesson, like I really – and I learned that lesson a, multiple times. Like it's not – you don't have to do more all the time. Like Dance with who brought you. Dance with your stubby, yeah. your stubby nails. Yeah. And – and uh <laughs> You know, because I'd have days where I would go, I would have days where I'd be throwing, and I had one of these in AAA that year where I was like just messing around, throwing a knuckleball, just like goofing around, passing time, and I was, and I didn't have it, like I couldn't get it to knuckle, and I was like, thank God that I am not throwing knuckleballs because I wouldn't be today would not be a day, and where where I could like do anything, I don't know how to, you know, troubleshoot a knuckleball. Like yeah. as a pitcher, you're like, oh, if I'm arm side high, like okay, you know do this, this, and this, or, you know, make that adjustment. I didn't have that with the knuckleball. So I was trying to like gain control and, and I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. I mean, it just didn't work. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I had no checks and balances and, and I, and I know Dan, we've talked about this too. Like when, when I got into trouble, it was when I got away conventionally or with the knuckleball, is when I got away from what I did well, and then I lost sight of where I was and how to get back. And yeah. once I started to have more success in my career, I was I was okay with who I was. I came to grips that I was never going to be a hard thrower, or or like a guy who just blew guys away or, or get a ton of strikeouts. And and I got really good in my mechanics, and I just I really tried to master that. And I was lucky that I had the opportunity to do that because I was you know in my mid twenties. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to Bobby's point, like, I don't think I didn't get a fair shake. I mean, dude, I got an opportunity, like we talked about before. Like, if, if I went to AAA as a conventional guy and sucked, I got an opportunity. I just didn't make the most of it. Well, I had enough, I had a chance with the knuckleball and I just didn't make the most of it. I mean, it, you know, like, it's an opportunity is an opportunity. What, what am I going to be pissed? I started in double A. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, like, yes. No. I, 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 Zach, like if I had done it you, normally, you come out of this show, you get pissed off. No, I, I mean, I, like I just should have been better. That's what, that's what I, I you know, if any, it's me, 
it's not their fault for believing in me to start me in double A. Like, you know, it wasn't, I just, you know, was it right or wrong? I don't know. It's what, what it was. Like, I wasn't going to worry about that. And I was trying to be good at it. Yeah. Fortunately, it was like, I felt like I was pitching naked and, and you know, but now that'd I, be know, something. I, like I said, I think I made it, I think I made it harder than it needed to be. And, um, it's taken me a while to kind of come to grips with that. Well, and it's also just a situation where you didn't have anyone helping you along either. Like, and you're the kind of guy that just takes responsibility, which is refreshing, giving um, our president today, who's never done anything wrong. Oh, here we go. Um, which, I mean, that's <laughs> that's a very valid point. But, um, you know, a lot of people could feel a lot of different ways about it. And the fact that you still say, like, look, I could have done better, which is hearing the whole story, probably not like what most people, how most people would write that off. They'd probably be like, man, that was really hard and no one was there to help you. It's just unfortunate. But you're still just like, I could have done it. I, I should have done it better. If I wanted better results, I could have done it better. And I think it's, you know, that's still just like an admir- admirable way to go about it. And I think that's hopefully what people take away from this in part. But, you know, and, and to yeah, your you other point is that, see, I'm just going to keep going here, Bobby. Just cut you off. That's how this works. You know what? Just keep going. I'm on the beach right now. I don't care what you get. We don't need you. But like, one thing, because like Zach was a mentor to me, he's you're a couple years older than I am, and when we played together, I I don't remember the exact game or why, but there was a point where I like was trying to hit a spot and I got hit around that game, and we were talking maybe either later that game or the next day, and I was like, yeah, I just like was trying to like locate, you know, on the outside corner, and you're like, stop, stop doing that, stop trying to like hit spots, and I'm like. But that's that's what good pitchers are supposed to do. And you're like, no, you're not good at that. That's not what you do. Just you are better at like blowing it past a dude, like going up, going in. Like when you try to hit spots, you suck, Dan. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, but like I was to, your, to your point, no, I like re- I like very vividly remember right. that day, even though it wasn't like a big game or anything. But I like I had little bouts of that where I was like, I can ha- I can have good command. And then I try to like spot the ball up like on the corner, you know, like you would do or like some other good command guy on our team. And I, I didn't walk players like I I'd go 50, like my best season. I was like 50 innings, you know, 12 walks. Like I didn't walk guys, but I wasn't throw it into a Dixie cup like people talk about. And when I tried to do that, easing off just a little bit, that's when I got hit because I was my best, like really letting it fly. I get more spin. I get more like whatever on it. And that was that was the same thing as you were just talking about is like trying to be the better, ver- the best version of yourself and, and, and understanding what that looks like, because we always try well, to like make it try to be better than we are. And then you can like get get away from it. Dixie, well, yeah. well, and, and two, like what you just said, when I like I've had guys, the guys who have really helped me, um, they, they would say just just go up there and focus on the mitt and throw it there. And that's what it is. That, there's no other part. You're, anything else is, is just extra. It's noise, whatever. It's, it's a distraction. And you notice that when you start focusing on the task at hand, then, then all the other things that you want come into play. I started to throw harder when I, would, when I was like just trying to stay in my box. Um, I probably had the best season I've ever had. At, at the at an, as an older guy who had two shoulder surgeries and like just had no basically had no business being where I was and and now I'm the best I've ever been, um, 
and I think all that comes from just kind of like constantly being in the moment um, and, and being able to allow yourself to get there. Because when you're focused on other things, they take away from the task that you're trying to do. And, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, we could go into like a mental skills and mental, all that kind of stuff too. Cause I think that's really important. Um, and just being in a good mental space to compete. But I think that like, I was fortunate, like I said, that I had, I had an opportunity to, to work that stuff out at the age I was, um, had I been a prospect, I, I may, I'm my, you know, you, we, we probably wouldn't be on this talk and, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if my career would have been the same because I would have had different expectations, all that stuff. But I think being in a position I was in allowed me to kind of work through some things without having a, like being under the microscope. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Bobby, is there, is there an equivalent on the yeah, hitting side? There. Well, you're actually um, you're actually cutting out a little bit, but no, it's a good it's a good uh, good combo, good combo. Um, we caught almost all of it. Is there is there an equivalent for a hitter? I don't know if there's an equivalent to like becoming a knuckleballer on the hitting side. Uh, I think part of you know how I said like Zach like didn't get a fair shake, you know, starting double A like didn't even get a chance to feel it out. I think a lot of that is like me looking at Zach like a guy a guy I'm friends with, a guy I like, like a guy that you want to succeed as, as someone that knows him, like you're rooting for him to succeed and you feel like, you know, from my vantage point, it's like, Oh, typical Baltimore, like not even given the, not even given the guy a, a, a chance to, to do well in this role. Whereas Zach's taking the, I, I, like the different approach and the different outlook of like, Hey, I get a chance to pitch in double A. And if I do well, like it's a good opportunity. You know, I'm a, I'm sitting there as a guy like rooting for Zach thinking like, this guy's not even getting like like send him down to Sarasota for two weeks and like let him throw a few bullpens like figure the shit out, you know you're you're almost like mad for him and it's that's probably not you know fair, you know it's it's your career but as a guy that's you know yeah. friends and wants to see your friend you know wants to see people that you really like that deserve chances get a fair shake feels like it's you know a bad one I think a comparison might be if they ask a the guy to switch hit. And I don't know that I played with anybody that was asked to do that. Um, but I remember talking to someone who was asked to do it in college and, you know, obviously not the same, you know, not the same uh, circumstances as a professional baseball player, but to be asked to switch hit at any level, if you've never done it before, regardless of how good your batting practice is, is so difficult. And it's so, such a mind fuck for a better lack of a better term. You know, hitting is very, very hard. That was a and great term for the kids that are listening. Perfect. Yeah, really just wake them up. These kids. Wake them up. Welcome. Hey, I've been up. You see the sun behind me? I've got been great, up for great hours. language talent, Bobby. Just scaring hey, everyone away from our from our. This show. is the real world. This, this is, is the real talk. world. Yeah. Bobby's uh, 18 malorts deep at this point of the day. Were we supposed to be drinking? <laughs> uh, switch hitting, I think, is a good comparison. And I don't know if. I don't know if it's even possible that someone could pick that up at the professional level and have, you know, it's going to take a special type of player mentally and the confidence to fail so much because, and just know that you're working through it. Yeah. And 
also have the confidence to know that the front office or the people that are in charge aren't holding it against you for failing. And I'm only hitting a hundred, but I have to hit lefty because 90% of the guys I face are righty and I'm a natural righty. So I can't need like, I got to do it how you're asking me to do it. You know, there's so many outside factors it, and it goes back to what we talked about before. Do you have trust in what the front office is telling you and that they're going to give you a fair, a fair shake at what, you know, at, the, at this opportunity? Like, am I going to get a full season of lefty at bats and come back without it affecting my status in the organization? Or am I basically like a trial run and, hey, you've got one season to, to hit 280 or you're going to be, you know, find a new job, find a different organization? So I think switch hitting would probably be somewhat comparable to, you know, getting dropped in the middle of the ocean, like Zach said, like a knuckleballer. But nothing's going to prepare – like nothing could prepare him for being asked right after, he, you know, after the ultimate high that I feel like he probably had of pitching in a big league game and reaching the pinnacle of, you know, a lifelong dream to be told, hey, everything you've just done to get to that point, we're going to scrap that and you're going to go and do this. It's yeah, like, it's holy pretty crazy. Shit. It, it just a just a total, like, okay, I, like, you just like a deflating moment, maybe, not necessarily mm-hmm. deflating, but like a whole like a like a, a shock to your system. Well, dude, I think in a way it made it. So getting a taste, if they had asked me prior to that, I don't know if I would have had the same answer because I hadn't, like. Once you get a taste, then you're like, I just want to get back, dude. Like, I want to, I want to be there. That's where I want to be. That's, that's the place, you know, that's where it matters. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's what, yeah. you're, that's the goal. So if I had, if I hadn't had that taste of that, then I might not have been so willing to, to be like, yeah, I'll do that. You know, because I, I was, I just, I just wanted to get back. And then, you know, you're not like, well, let's think about this rationally, Zach, like, you know, that's knuckleballs are pretty hard. And, you know, you, all, you know, just like breaking it down, like I was like, OK, I can do this. I can throw a knuckleball. I'm older. I'm not going to have the same. I don't have the same arm talent I used to have. <laughs> so, no, you don't. <laughs> so, you know, like, let's try and let's try and do this. Let's let's take a bet. I'm, I'm, I'm in a position to bet on myself. Let's go for it. And uh, like I said, it just I just didn't I wasn't good at it. Another another comparison might be like someone like Rick Ankiel, who's highly touted, comes up, has success in the big leagues as a pitcher, and then is all of a sudden, hey, you're going to be a hitter now. Go back down and make it back up. And I, I got to imagine making it back up as a hitter had to feel so good and just sucks. Did, like a, was he a high school? He was a high school draft pick, right? Yeah, arm talent was, and bat talent. Okay. <laughs> swing talent, speed, just, swing just talent, talent everywhere. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, yeah. Well, and as as you were talking, as you're blabbering on, Bobby, I uh, it, it's funny that like you talk about the different um, like ways guys get their big league debut. Just going back to like helping someone be in the best position to succeed, which again on like Bobby's side, maybe Double A wasn't the best place for you to succeed, but on Zach's side, good opportunity. Like you know, because we had other two other teammates. Steve Garrison got his first inning with the Yankees in the ninth of like a eight, eight or nine to one game. And I think that's typically what they try to do. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that they try to get guys their first inning at bat in a low pressure situation, just like they know how much it's a crazy, crazy experience, obviously. 
But then our other friend, uh, D-Ray, Daniel Herrera, his first big league appearance was bases loaded, no one out. And like a situation that mattered, like a seventh inning or something. And he was like, well, here we go. And he punched, I think, I think he punched two guys out and got out of it with no runs. And so that's that same thing. Like in hindsight, he could have got like, that could have just been a mess or whatever, but he got out of that inning and it was like, this kid's good. Like, like let's go. And I think that probably helped his stock. Um, And I think he would agree that like, that was like a big moment, like show up and just do it. Let's do it. So yeah, I can see it being on both sides. Because if he gets hit around there and it's just like a mess, you'd be like, oh, you really kind of set him up to fail. Right. But he didn't. I think but I he didn't. know that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, and I think that more than that level more than any, um, you're trying to get guys to set him up to succeed, especially the guys who have never been there before. I mean, that's the, that's the goal because the more good big league players you have, the better you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's there's not some good guys- logic, Zach. That's not good logic. What? <laughs> the more good players you have, the better you are. No way. If well, I mean, if Bobby's just using the word logic, it's a good day because it's actually not in his uh, vocabulary. So I've been reading the dictionary. Good. Yeah, this is good. Oh. Um, well, <laughs> I think there's two two good uses for cyborgs in the future, and Zach will get your input on this. One, throwing BP. Do you think there will be a point where we create our own robots to throw human-like batting practice? Two, because I feel like the Rays would be into that. They're into like doing cool new stuff. And two, um, what was the other one I was thinking of as we were talking? I don't know. I'll think about it. But first, is throwing BP, like live BP, which is something I think teams are thinking about doing. I have no idea if the Rays are doing that, but... Throwing this live BP, do you think that's feasible? Like, where do you get the human arm talent to, to do that? To get human, to run humans out for big leaguers every day. What you're saying, like, where do teams find people to do that? Yeah, where would they? Do you think? Do you think that's a thing that might happen in the future? Like, batting practice might evolve to where every day before games one through one sixty two, major league team has their BP pitchers that go out there and actually throw like legit. Like I'm pitching against you, like in the nineties, whatever. Like sixty foot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, And if we can't get humans, one hundred sixty-two games a year, just because they don't even want to do batting practice every day. So I doubt they're gonna like do a game before the game type thing. But in terms of training, that dude, anything that I think like the goal with training now is to try and find things that can closely mimic game. situations game speed game like all that stuff so if you have a robot that can like you can (laughs) legit like screw on longer levers and have it be randy johnson or whoever the pitcher is that you're facing and mimic their delivery and the way the ball comes out of their hand like i want in on that second that would be awesome i re-remembered it have you either of you seen this show on netflix called altered carbon it's a very violent, futurist, futuristic show. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. Um, I wouldn't really watch it again. But anyway, it's an interesting premise, which um, I think is probably realistic for the future, where basically your whole, who you are is stored in a disc in your spine. So when you're like, maybe like one or something, they put this thing in your spine and it essentially downloads your consciousness into it. And it just continues to like put the information in there as you age. And so then basically... Who you are, you're like you as a spirit person. Yeah, it's all in that disc. So if you get shot and killed and that's still intact, they can take it out 
and they call it re-sleeving, which I don't know why they use that term in the show, but they call it, you get a new sleeve. A new body is a sleeve. So if, you know, you're like 40 years old, would it be allowable to like re-sleeve you into like a 20-year-old dude and like put you back in the big leagues? Would we allow that? No. Is that a performance enhancement? <laughs> performance enhancer? <laughs> this was not. This was not. Zach took it as literal. This, like this a, was not on the show notes. Question. But forty years from now, when, years, when we have this. 40, forty years from now, when we Dude, have this technology. What team is going to sign up for that? You're just going to boost all your money. You're going to like put your put your put your abilities in the best body you can. Like, I mean, the team. Like, one, if you can do that, then there's a problem because you should have already done that. There shouldn't be anybody better. You know what I mean? If that's what is going on in baseball, then these dudes should be like the best of the best of the best. And we're running out of people to put them in. That's it's part of the, no, they make it part I, of the salary cap though. You got to have, you got to have three of these dudes that are only five ten and no so, weight. Don't, don't weigh any more than 180 pounds. You can have one freak, like seven foot tall. Like you can't just have a bunch of freaks out there. You got to have some normies. Well, the the got, sleeves like, would still be real people. Like basically, like so we got to kill you people, grow. Well, you grow them, but I don't know. The show's the show's sketchy. But what I'm saying is, I say no because the teams would then have to pay for this. New, like they just be growing so if bodies. Forty year old dude. Yeah, like then then my earning potential is like constantly gets more as the better body comes along. Yeah. What team's going to sign up for that? They would just get the dudes with the best bodies already and put the best. They'd find the best bodies and the best like chips Base- and put them players. in there. Yeah, Derek Jeter would just and reset. He's twenty again. Yeah. So, I, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like thinking about it, but I don't. <laughs> I just don't know why they would say yes to that. That'd be crazy. Unless the players' unions like, oh, we get a body upgrade every three years or something. Well, it's interesting to think about. In. Because even if you did that, so like take Derek Jeter as an example. If that technology existed, clearly they'd want to put Derek Jeter's spirit back into a new body, right? But even if it's a super athletic body, it's not going to necessarily like want to move the same way Derek Jeter did. Like he had a really unconventional swing. Like he inside outed a lot of stuff. Like I was watching a little ESPN thing on him the other day. And his swing, like I think would get eaten alive on hitting Twitter today. Like barrel doesn't wrap around his head as much as it should. Like, like he's kind of yeah. unconventional a lot of his actions. So then, if you put him in a new, like robust, you know, fit twenty-two-year-old super athlete, you know, Joey Gallo's body, does is he even like does he know how to use Joey Gallo's body? You know what I mean? Like, is it good or is it weird? We don't know, Dan. Not- do we why, call him? What do we call him? Do we call that's him? That's Derek? what we we'll studying then. Do we call him Joey? No, we, we call, call him. Derek. What, what do we call have this a name new? According to Dan, he's gonna have his own name. What do we call this new thing? He this would wait. He'd, he'd wake up and be like, "Look at how much swing talent I have." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like Space Jam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They put the we should, that'd be in the cool mo- to figure that out. I'm interested in this topic. I just don't. I don't. There's too many possibilities to like really talk about. Well, if you had your choice of '90s shortstops to take their chips, who do you want? You want Jeter? Nomar, A Rod, Tahada. Give me A Rod. No, A Rod. But A Rod's already got. What if you could put Jeter in A Rod's body? Dude, A Rod was like, just the the body. Give me Jeter's brain in A Rod's body, or give me a. But then you got to call him Derek. Then you call him Derek. He's no longer A Rod. I'm just saying the body. You're asking about the body. 
It's so I'm taking a Rod. I'm taking what about, what about Cal? What about Cal? Cal Ripken, six six. Great. Give me his brain. But who's head of hair? It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. This man, no, this Matt. Do you got scalp? This guy's need, giving interviews. He needs more scalp talent. You need more scalp talent. He's the he's the face of your franchise. It can't be going bald. He is. <laughs> he's you know full luscious. You know he's got to be doing a shampoo like Troy Palomalu. I mean, as as far fetched as this sounds, I think it's actually like somewhat in the realm of like why wouldn't we try to develop that technology? Like that's well, like a, it's like a way to live forever. We. We as a species, as as humans, say because we, I'm not developing any technology. Like I watched that show and it was really violent, and I like wasn't into the acting. It was just like a we- it's a weird show. You can watch it on Netflix. If so, if you're out there, it's called Altered Carbon, and it's a weird show. Again, it's hyper violent, but like I watched it solely because I was really thinking about the whole premise the whole time. And I think it was the YouTuber Marcus Brownlee, who he's a super smart guy, and I think he was saying like, yeah, that's for sure, like, what's going to happen. And there's someone else that I was listening to on the web who was like, clearly, like, technology is going to be used to help us live longer and essentially at some point live forever. And that's seems like a very viable way to do it because ultimately what's in our brain is some sort of computer and, like, we're going to start to figure out, like, what makes it it, right? Wouldn't that and at that point, if you, can, if you can put it on a, on a microchip, on a microprocessor, like, here's Dan, but he... Should have died, but now he's in a new body. Well, what, how weird would that would that be if they did pets and you had your pet, but it was like a different look? Like you had a dog that was like a golden retriever, and then it was a dachshund. Well, and that's and what's disturbing was, uh, about the show is that it'd be so weird. And that's what's really disturbing about the show is that most people can't afford to have like a good sleeve if they get killed. Like a, it's a yeah. su- super expensive thing. So like the rich people, they have like an incubator of like they're growing their same their same self. Right. So when they die, they just get a new, new 32 year old, 34 year old Dan, whatever. Everyone else, they don't have that. So you might be like a six foot four black dude and you got killed and now you're like a five foot two Asian girl. And that's the thing that happens a lot in the show. And it's really strange and creepy and weird. They're like, oh, no, that's not you, mommy. And it's like, mommy's like some big dude now. It's well, wouldn't that create one of the disturbing, disturbing parts of the show? Probably like like Clarky, like Clark sees some six, four dude. That's that's pretty big, and he's like, I could use that, and he just yeah, he just takes his chip out and like you know throws it in the ocean and puts his own chip in in the body, and now he's huge. Like I said, the show was extremely violent, so it all seems like nothing's. There's not gonna be any sports played. There'll be too much blood in the streets if we get there. I guess I don't know. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> You'd be the first one to go. You've no, you've no. Oh no you way! Know, I might shift fight talent. Yeah, you kidding dude. Me? He's Bobby's quick and strong. Yeah, but that Thank doesn't matter you. when it's like martial law. It doesn't matter how good you are at anything. You just get like a knife in the side of your neck when, at, by some random dude. Look at where dude, I'm at right time. now. No, nobody's Man, coming to is, get me. I'm, I'm on the beach. Yeah, people could sneak up on you easily right now. And just, eh, there you go. Well, yeah, but like you, that's why you stand in the corner. And it, it's funny. I, 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 I'm thinking about this because yesterday I went out for a walk and I sat um, and I – like everyone's a little bit bored at times. So I sat and meditated, which I hadn't done. And I did it the previous day, but I've only done it twice in the last while. But I was like, I had my backpack with me and I was like, I'm still in the middle of DC and there's still a lot of sketchy people around. So I was sitting there like with my back into a tree. And I'm like, I need to open my eyes every handful of minutes just to make sure like 
I can't really meditate with that going on, Dan. No, it wasn't the most, it wasn't the best place. I did it in a park where there were like more people around. We were still very social distanced the other day. But in that situation, I'm like, someone could be sneaking up on me. Yeah. Someone's going to steal your chip. Well, or your camera backpack. I just open my eyes in in my bliss, and like there's someone like holding a knife to me. It's like I'm gonna take your backpack and all your computer stuff in it. Like, all right, see ya. <laughs> well, that's what you get for trying to meditate in a park. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of parks in D. This was like a little strip of grass where it was in a really nice neighborhood near oh, where I live. Versus where like a park on the sidewalk. I mean, versus like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> stupid. You're like Stupid, a dog. Yeah. That's like where dogs go to the bathroom when you're trying to meditate. This is true. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So there's <laughs> holes. There's holes in my daily rituals. All right. Fine. You're exposing me. Whatever. But we got ushered out. Bobby, have you been walking around Chicago much in your quarantine? In your quarantineness? No. Uh, we, Jenny and I have walked around a little bit. Are they shooing I'm, people I'm in, out of public spaces? Are they like telling you you can't go actually, there? Actually, yes. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. Is like the there's there's yellow caution tape around the entrances of parks um i've never seen so many people walking around my neighborhood as i have in the last week and a half where people are just out and about you know stopping at the fences like talking to each other it's like everyone's social now we're all best friends because no one's working and we're all locked in the house um it's funny though we were walking by the park and it's like the the squad car comes up on the park like drives up and basically driving past all these people that are sitting in different patches of grass and telling them to leave yeah. like, get up see you later it's it's an odd time um it's an odd time everywhere i mean we live in a we live in odd times currently but this is really it's been weird walking around the neighborhood like i come to work to the to my office essentially to do some stuff just to get out of the house and it's there's no traffic which is a nice uh byproduct of what's happening in Chicago, but it's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on just in general. Yeah. Zach, how are your 18 children holding up? Hmm. They're good. They're good. (laughs) (laughs) They don't really get, they don't, I'm I'm sure they wish they were back at school or the ones that were in, are in school, but they're, I mean, they're good. Some, the younger ones like being at home. They like having their brothers and sisters around, but it's, I don't know, man, four kids. How old's your day. How's your oldest? How old's yeah, your what, what are the ages of your crowd? Five, three, two, and eleven months. Ah, oh, no, it's almost. He'll be a year in, on the twenty-first of April. Man, so, five, five is the oldest. Yeah. yeah, she'll be six in August, but I mean, you know, she's in kindergarten. Like, just I'm lucky because I don't have like big-time school to do. I mean, she still has stuff to do, but it's kindergarten. You know, it's like reading, little basic reading, math spelling um i'm just glad i'm not stuck at home trying to do like stuff i can't <laughs> yeah well zach um appreciate having you on the show today I thought it was a good conversation i know last time we did this uh, a couple years ago um i feel like we didn't get as deep as um we both want it but i think this has been easier with bobby because we can just like throw nonsense off of bobby it comes back and just eases the conversation around you know he's like our it's like our, our point man slash punching bag slash whatever, you know, Bob. I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here, Bob's to here for I'm us. Here for he's, he's, here, right, he's, he's a team right player. Now. Yeah, he's a team player. I'm not trying to be the host of this. I just want to be, you know, I want to be a, a cog in the, you know, in the greater, greater good. He's he's got yeah. group talent, group talent. 
He's he's a facilitator. Yeah. Keeps us moving. But make, make me an arm talent shirt. Somebody needs a design. No, I actually. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was starting to chuckle to myself. A lot of times, if you see me smirking when I'm not talking, it's because I'm thinking something. Um, I was thinking of the, what the arm talent shirt would look like. It'd probably be like our <laughs> our morning brush brushback colors, but it have like arm talent and it have like a rainbow or something like that <laughs> i'd uh, wear that it's gonna be we'll design it I'll, I'll print it up i have easy access to do that so um well zach how can people follow you or or follow you or find you on the web if you'd uh, like them dude, to? I, don't. I mean you can find me i don't even know what my twitter handle is i think it's z underscore clark might be a one i got like a i don't even know like a cup like a multicolored background i don't tweet i mean i'll follow guys but the man's incognito. Yeah. But what we'll probably get to do here on the podcast is um, have a lot of our our more well-known, our, our friend guests kind of come back and do like little panels down the road. So you'll probably hear from Zach again here on the show. At some point, we'll have a, a round table and kind of do that stuff. So I think that'll be fun in the future. So we'll have you we back on. We can get a lot of good people from uh Just from get, some, or- get some human, <laughs> some human talent. It's going to be some, yeah. some dangerous conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Some really funny ones, too. Um, but thank yeah. you for listening. If you're out there on Twitter or YouTube, we appreciate you being here. Um, definitely subscribe to the channel, share with a friend. We're also on Spy- uh, Spotify, iTunes, all those podcast places. So if you're out there, feel free to leave us a review. And uh, again, just thanks for being here. Bobby, you want to send us off? Yeah, from the sandy beaches of Chicago. <laughs> thanks for listening. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.